Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Open your Bible, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and used for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. A man went to a local general store in a country town that he lived in for years and the owner of that store had a clerk by the name of Jake. Jake was not very helpful. Jake was perhaps the laziest man in the world. And one day, the customer went in, and Jake was not there, and he asked the owner of the store, where's Jake? He said, well, Jake's retired. Retired? Really? Then what are you going to do to fill the vacancy? Owner said Jake didn't leave a vacancy. <laughs> you ever thought about the vacancy that you would leave here at the church if you quit coming? Let me ask it another way. What if, what kind of church would this church be if every member were just like me? Would you still come? Would it still be doing anything? You see, it's God's intention that every one of us be used serving him. God didn't save us to sit on the premises. He saved us to serve him. And yet so many people, their faith is almost like football. It's an occasional spectator sport on a Sunday. They're not serving Christ, but when you really love Jesus and you're committed to him, you're not going to be content to do nothing. You, you, you just can't. It doesn't work. You want to be in the game. And you may think that it takes people of impressive abilities and gifts to be able to be used by the Lord. Or maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not, I don't have a seminary degree and, and I can't be used. Or maybe you're thinking, I don't have a deep enough knowledge of the Bible. God can't use me. But I want to tell you something. God can use you. Now, I, I first want you to know that all of you are 
a member somewhere of the Tate family. There's old man Dick Tate who wants to run everything. There's Uncle Rotate tries to change everything. And then there's Sister Agitate stirs up plenty of trouble with help from her husband, Irritate. <laughs> and when new projects are suggested, Hesitate and his wife, Vegetate, want to wait until later to do it. Then there's Aunt Imitate, who wants our church to be like all others, and Devastate, who provides the voice of doom, while Potentate wants to be in charge. <laughs> but not all members of the family are bad. There's Brother Facilitate, who's quite a helpful ch member in church matters. Cousins Cogitate and Meditate, always thinking things over, lending a helpful, steady hand. And of course, there's the black sheep of the family, Amputate, who's cut himself off completely from the church. You fit in there somewhere. In our text today, Paul uses the example of a large house. And this large house represents the church, the universal church of Jesus Christ, all believers in the Lord. It, 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 he, the large house, he said, it's a large house. And in this house are vessels. It's not the first time Paul's used the term vessel because in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 7, he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may, not be, a, may be of God and not from ourselves. In other words, we are clay pots. We are earthen vessels, and we have in us the Holy Spirit. That's the treasure. We're not the treasure. We hold the treasure. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We have the Lord living in us. So we're vessels. And then he uses that term again when he says, in a large house, there are vessels of honor and there are vessels of dishonor. Now, the vessels of honor would be these soldiers and farmers and athletes that he's mentioned earlier in the chapter. They would be the ones whose hearts are sold out to the Lord. They are men and women of integrity. They take their faith seriously. They walk in the Spirit. They demonstrate the character of Christ in, they, in their daily lives. The vessels of dishonor, however, would be those that he's mentioned who have strayed away from the truth of the teaching of God's Word. They would be the ones whose lives are dirty, have sin in their life. They're the ones who are just nominal in their walk with the Lord, who really aren't really taking it that seriously. And Paul said they're vessels of dishonor. I want us to mention today that I believe that all of you want to be a vessel of honor. I want my life to honor the Lord. You, you hear me missing it at the time when I'm thanking you for honoring the Lord with your giving, but I want my life. Don't you want your life to honor the Lord? If you do, there are nine marks here. Nine characteristics of a life that honors the Lord, and it begins with a cleansed life. He says in verse 21, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, in other words, if you've got sin in your life, if you've gotten away from the truth like these false teachers have, he says you need to cleanse your life from that. And the word cleanse comes from a word where we get our word catharsis, which means to clean thoroughly and to clean completely purge something. And the latter refers to those vessels who are not clean. 
Now, none of us in here are perfect. And so, no, we're not talking about perfection here. We're talking about lives who have allowed sin to build up in their life. They're not walking in the Lord's way. Sort of reminds me of a a man who came home from work and he saw his little girl playing in the mud and he said, you're pretty dirty. She said, yes, sir, I am, but I'm a lot prettier clean. (laughs) Well, so are Christians. They are a lot prettier clean. Did you know that the bathtub was invented in 1842. Y'all remember that? Some of you remember, right? (laughs) And when it was invented, it was denounced. It was called a luxurious and democratic vanity, was the term they used. And Boston made it unlawful to bathe except with a doctor's prescription. I am so thankful I didn't live then, don't you? Aren't you? And then in 1843, Philadelphia made it illegal to bathe from November 1st until March the 15th. I'm pretty sure there's some people that still think that's a law. (laughs) But you know what? In church, in churches, there are a lot of folks who have not confessed their sin in a long time. It's almost like they've gone with a spiritual, without a spiritual cleansing. Now, don't misunderstand me. You you don't lose your salvation. But God gave us 1 John 1, 9 for a reason. Because sometimes we stumble, sometimes we fall into sin, and, and we want to keep walking with the Lord, and we need to restore the fellowship with Jesus. Your relationship doesn't change, but the fellowship can and so you'd say, God, I, this is where I've sinned. And, and I call it the soap verse. The soap verse, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us, to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it, the good news is this. If You want to be like gold and silver. If you've been living in the garbage can for a while, you can get out of it. If you're angry, you don't have to stay that way. If you're a bitter person, you're unforgiving. That's what a bitter person is. They're unforgiving of something. You don't have to stay that way. If you've fallen and given in to lust in some way, you don't have to stay that way. If you have a critical spirit, you don't have to stay that way. You may have a foul temper. You may have a foul mouth. You don't have to stay that way. You cleanse. You come to the Lord and say, Lord, I've messed up. I found myself here. I need you to wash this off of me. Amen? Amen. And you can't, if you do that, then you're beginning to be a vessel of honor. But you can't be a vessel of honor in the Lord's work if you're walking in sin all the time. If you're living in sin or you're habitually sinning the same way, you can stop it. You need to be cleansed from it and say, Lord, I, I need to stop this right now. Which leads to the second characteristic, a consecrated lifestyle. He uses the word sanctified. 
If anyone cleanses himself, verse 21, from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified. Sanctified, the word is hagiazo, which means you are set apart. And, and really, it's both ways. Negatively, you're set apart from sin. Positively, you're set apart to the Savior. So, you separate, you, you come from sin, you don't stay the same. People that tell you, well, I've given my life to Jesus, and the pattern of their life is exactly the same, something's wrong. Because he delivers you from that. He sets you away from it and sets you apart for his service. There were vessels in the temple and in the tabernacle that were set apart for God's service taken out of ordinary circumstances and put dedicated solely to the Lord. They were vessels of honor. And to be a vessel of honor worthy for the Lord, it means I'm not going to continue walking in sin. I'm going to start walking in the, in the Lord. I'm set apart for him. We're not better than people. We're not, we're not saying we're better than anyone else. But when God reached down and saved you, he took you out of sin and he said, you know what? You're, you're one of my set-apart treasures. I'm going to use you. Amen? Honorable vessels are separated from the world and the flesh and Satan and self-will of the old way of life. The third mark is a constructive mentality. In verse 21, useful. For the master. I may be the only one in this room, but I can remember my mom and dad saying to me, would you make yourself useful? <laughs> Did y'all ever have that said to you? <laughs> That's the same word that Paul uses later in chapter 4, verse 11, when he says, bring Mark, bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me. It... Paul said, I, I just want to be useful for the master. In fact, he wrote earlier in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, do, not, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. And then his greatest fear was that he would lose his usefulness. He said, therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Make yourself useful. Be ready to be used by the Lord. I looked up this week. I was trying to find the world record for standing motionless. You won't believe it. The, the, as far as I can find, the world record for standing motionless is 35 hours and 22 minutes. In January 2015, and, and then while I was looking, I found this record. It's the, it's the world record for walking the slowest. <laughs> Seriously. And it was done by a man, Martin uh, Buck of Sec or something like that. I don't know how you say his name. He's in Germany. 
June the 21st and 22nd, 2013, he walked two meters, about six and a half feet. Took him 27 hours. I've been behind people in a mall like that, haven't you? But I got, I've got news for you. There are people sitting in church that I'm pretty sure might be able to break this record. They're absolutely motionless. They never get involved in the local church. They never are part of it. And I want to take a moment and I want to thank you, Southcrest. I thank every one of you greeters. Stand out there and greet people. You ushers helping people find seats. Thank you for being useful. You folks that help with security, help keep this place safe from all the insane people that want to harm a church. You keep it safe where we come in here and don't have to worry about it. Thank you for doing it. Thank you for your parking lot people who drive those carts and dodge all those crazy drivers on the parking lot. <laughs> you help people get in here safely. Thank you for Sunday school workers, life group teachers, and care group leaders, and outreach leaders, and all that you do. Thank you for doing that. Thank you preschool and children's workers who take the time to invest in eternity because you invest in eternal lives. Children, thank you deacons for what you do in serving and ministering to people. Thank you kitchen and food service crew for all that you do. You keep Baptists happy by keeping them full. <laughs> Thank you for all you Awana workers helping with these children learn Scripture. Thank you for the Good News Club workers that go into the public schools and help kids learn about Jesus. For all you in the men's ministry, all of you in the women's ministries and all that's involved, all of you in the music and the media ministry, all of you in the university and the youth, and the weekday Bible teachers, and the prayer groups, and the shut-in ministry, and the school board, and all the committees, and those who help clean the building, those of you who help make the coffee, all of you are keepers. You're useful. Thank you for what you do. Karen Peck and New River, and if you don't listen to gospel music, you don't know who I'm talking about, but they came out with a song just this last year called The Keepers. Listen to the lyrics. He pulls up in a mailbox in the middle of the night, leaves some money for a family who are facing hard times. He's a keeper. She's leaning on a walker, and she's leaning on her Lord. In her Sunday best, she welcomes folks walking through the doors. She's a keeper. They keep on sharing Jesus. They keep on showing love. They keep on serving others. No one sees but the Lord above. They keep on persevering. They're never letting up. Hallelujah for the faithful believers. Thank God for the keepers. She drops in for a visit to a neighbor all alone. She brings him food and prays him through, shines hope into his home. She's a keeper. Isn't, it isn't always easy, but he sticks to what is true. He's bold and brave and sure he's called to preach the good, good news. He's a keeper. Chapter after chapter, the story of their lives, expecting nothing in return, all for the cause of Christ. They keep on sharing Jesus. They keep on showing love. They keep on serving others. No one sees but the Lord above. They keep on persevering. They're never letting up. 
Hallelujah for the faithful believers. Thank God for the keepers. The reason God has his hand on this church is because of the keepers. Thank you for being useful. To be an honor of, to be a vessel of honor, you've got to have this constructive, I want to be part of the solution mentality. You've also got to have a compliant mindset. Look at verse 21 again. Prepared for every good work. And, and this word, which is the hetoimazo or something like that, it means the willingness and eagerness as well as being ready. I, I can't wait. God, coach, put me in the game. It's a compliant readiness. It demands uh, that we're willing to submit to the Lord and use the gifts and talents and, and follow him. You've you got to be ready. You know, I've learned in the many years of ministry that most church members are 100% willing. 50% are willing to do the work, and 50% are willing to let them do the work. <laughs> you want to be a vessel of honor. Lord, how can I help? I'm willing. I'm ready. Put me in the game. The next mark is a committed heart. Here's a multifaceted characteristic. Verse 22. It really represents five characteristics of a pure heart right there in that verse 22. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I put them in two categories. The first one is running from sin. Pure heart runs from sin. Flee youthful lusts. Now, most of the time when we hear the word lust, we're thinking of some kind of sexual connotation, but a youthful lust encompasses all of the sinful passions and attitudes that we had when we were young. Do y'all remember when you were young? And do you remember when you knew everything? I'm glad to know that. <laughs> he said, still do. <sighs> you know, when you're young, you know everything. You can be arrogant. You can be argumentative. Oh, no, we, young people don't argue, do they? Um, they can be jealous and envious and self-assertive. There's a lot of youthful Passions, they're not all bad. I'm not picking on young people, but I'm just saying that you can't keep doing that because those youthful passions are pursuing or chasing you. Why did he use the word flee? F-L-E-E. Flee. And actually, it's an imperative. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's present tense. Keep on running from all these youthful lusts. Because it's the natural thing to do. And a pure heart helps you leave that and say, you know, i got to work on this. The other category is you're running toward godliness. Same present imperative command, pursue relentlessly. 
pursue. I'm running for this. What am I running for? These four things. Righteousness. How are you going to run towards righteousness? You've got to know what God's righteous qualifications are and what his demands are. And where are you going to find that? In God's word. And you quit reading God's word. You quit pursuing righteousness. You start listening to the culture. You start listening to false teaching. Psalm 119.9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. The godly believer pursues faith. The word faith, pistis, is the word here in the context. It means faithfulness. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. Faithfulness, the true faithful Christian will be loyal to the Lord, be loyal to his word, be loyal to his work, and yeah, he'll be loyal to God's people. Faithfulness. He said pursue love. This isn't the emotional, mushy, goosey type stuff. It has nothing to do with your emotions and your sentiment. It's the love of the mind and will that God has for you and me because it means that he chooses to love us when we're undesirable, when we're ugly, when we are unlovable. It's selfless. It's self-giving. We love people. Most of, when we hear the word love, we always try to put some kind of emotion with it. To love means to seek the highest good of someone else, even if I don't like them. It's a choice. That's come from a pure heart. And he said also to pursue peace. Irene is the Greek word. We get our word serene or serenity from that. And in the context here, it doesn't mean the absence of conflict. It means the right relationship with man and God and mankind with mankind. And so all of this under the guise of a committed heart says, I run from sin and I'm going to pursue what God wants, I want to be faithful, I want to be loving, and I want to be peaceful. Y'all are mighty quiet today. A sixth mark is a conscientious restraint. Now, a vessel of honor has got to have a discerning mind. In other words, you know, from the very beginning of the church and continuing on to our own day, people have a tendency to look away from God's truth. And when they look away from God's truth, they begin to fall prey to every doctrine that comes along. They don't bother to check what they hear or what they read with God's Word. And Paul pulls no punches here. Let me tell you what he says in verse 23. He said, first of all, you avoid foolish. The word is moros. <laughs> Guess what word we get from that? moron. And, and, and the word literally means mentally dull, silly, or stupid. 
And then the word for ignorant means unlearned and untrained and awful, off, often carries the idea of undisciplined. And then he uses the word disputes or speculations, which means it's controversial and seriously disputed, having no basis of truth. Now, let's put all that together. When somebody comes to you and tells you that, well, God says this. Okay, anytime anybody says God says, you better check it out with his word. Seriously. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything you read. Check it out because sometimes people say moros stuff. It's a good name now you can use while you're driving. All those other drivers in front of you are morons, right? Seriously, I'm amazed at the people that can come up with some of the stuff they come up with, and, they, and they're untrained, unlearned, and undisciplined ways of life. You know what? In other words, God just loves you the way you are, and you can continue to live in your sin, whatever that is, for the rest of your life. Now, see, that's undisciplined. That goes completely against what the rest of God's Word says. And speculations, it says it has no basis in the truth, and he forbids that. He said, don't get in that. Be conscientious enough to check it out with God's Word, and don't get caught up in that stuff. He says, for one thing, all it does is cause strife. He he. He said, they, they will question Scripture. They will distort the truth. They will create doubt. They will weaken faith. They will undermine confidence in the Lord. They often lead to compromise of convictions, and it produces fighting. Stay away from them. Usually, not always, but a lot of times, it'll be from somebody who's had a bad experience in church. And they're going to come to you and tell you everything's wrong with the church and why you ought not to be going and so on and so forth and so on. Don't get caught up in that. Now, there's some churches you ought not to go to. If they're not teaching the truth and if they're not adhering to the Word of God, don't go there. Now, he follows that up with another mark, which is a calm and composed personality, bond servant in verse 24, doulos, which with he, Paul uses that word about himself a lot. He said he was a bond servant. He said, Timothy, you are a bond servant of the master of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, you are not to be quarrelsome but kind, gentle to all. When you speak boldly, you do it with love. You don't be contentious. You don't be overbearing and unkind. You be soft. In the, uh, you, there's a softness, not, you not are soft. There's a softness in the authority that you have. You be kind to all people, even those are people that disagree with you. You still are kind to them. You're not hateful. Let me tell you, you find a group that's hateful to people, there's something wrong with them. They may be right theologically, but if they're being hateful, there's something wrong with them. The responsible and godly preacher also has to be able to teach. 
which doesn't mean you have all the knowledge. It doesn't mean that you know everything. It means you're able to communicate effectively what God has taught in such a way that people understand it and can apply it. So a servant, a a bond servant is to have a calm and composed personality. You're not a fighter. You're not always looking for somebody to fight. You're not walking around with a chip on your shoulder. And one of the hardest characteristics of that verse is to be patient when you have been wronged. It doesn't matter who you are, no matter what you're doing for the Lord, somebody's going to be critical of you. Somebody somebody will do you wrong. And the only one that I can give you as an example of who to follow is Jesus. (laughs) Because Jesus was patient. If anybody could have made a burnt spot on the pavement out of people, it was Jesus. I wouldn't have blamed him. You're done. But you know what? You can't be that way. Patience is a fruit of Christ's own Holy Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Which leads to verse 25, which is a controlled spirit. Now, he, in the New King James says, in humility. Maybe your translation says gentleness. The word is praetase, which is meekness. It was used in the Greek world for breaking a, a colt or a horse to, to ride, and you didn't do it in such a way to break the animal's spirit or energy. Meekness has no relation to the word weakness or cowardice or, or um, shyness. It, it doesn't mean that you're a doormat or a wimp. Following Jesus doesn't make you a wimp. In fact, you're still the same person you were before you met Jesus. You're just under control. I wish I could lose my temper. And what I mean by that is I'd like for it to be gone. But it's still there but the Holy Spirit is bringing it under control. You're still the same person. You're just under control of the Holy Spirit. And to be a vessel of honor doesn't mean that you come in here like a wild person and just let everything fly. No, the Holy Spirit controls you. And folks, I want to tell you something I've noticed, that the older we get, the less our filters go off. We got to quit doing that. Just because you think it doesn't mean it's right to say it. Control yourself. The shoe shine boy will be right outside when we're done today. I've stepped on everybody's toes today. The final mark is a compassionate attitude. He focuses on correcting those who are in opposition. The word correct means to instruct or educate or to give guidance. And and it says God may grant them repentance. And the fact, the goal when you try to correct somebody or instruct them is to restore them, not to condemn them. You go trying to say, listen... I believe, the Word of God says this, 
you know, I, I, could, I could relate to Lucy who told Charlie Brown, I'd make a great evangelist. He said, is that so? He says, yeah, I convinced the boy in front of me in school that my religion is better than his religion. He said, how'd you do that? He said, I hit him on the head with my lunchbox. <laughs> well, I would like to do that from time to time, but you can't do that. You've got to be compassionate to those who haven't come to the knowledge of the truth like the Word of God says. The epinosis is the word knowledge, which is more than factual information. It's a deep, thorough, spiritual knowledge of God's truth. And it's only through God's gracious provision that he allows us to repent, and they may come. Look at this phrase. They may come to their senses. Now, that word, come to their senses, literally means to return to soberness. As if they are spiritually inebriated, spiritually stooping around like they're drunk, lost their judgment, proper control of their faculties. That's what destructive, that's what, that's what false teaching does. It's that destructive. And you're praying that they will come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. In other words, Satan seems to snare them in the false teaching. And if you're going to be a vessel of honor, you've got to have a compassionate attitude. Listen, there are times you just like to grab them and shake them and say, don't you understand what's going on here? But you can't do that. You've got to love them back. Some of you have family members. They're giving you a hard time. And you're wondering, they just don't understand. I don't understand why they're doing what they're doing. You keep having compassion and patience and lovingly instruct, educate, give guidance. But it's God who will bring them to repentance. You can't make them do it. And our God is so gracious. He's so faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. Second Peter 2 9 says he can rescue the godly from temptation. And I bring you right back to the soap verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you don't know Jesus, he'll forgive you of all your sin. If you're a believer here today and maybe you're not being a vessel of honor, confess the sin. That's where it starts, a cleansed life. You're not being saved again. You're restoring the fellowship. I've been married almost 45 years to Laura. Whenever we have a disagreement or are irritated with one another, and it's usually my fault. In fact, I don't ever remember when it wasn't my fault, to tell you the truth. <laughs> I don't have to go get married again. I don't have to tell you, let's go find the, the preacher. Let's get married again. I just come and say I was wrong. 
would you forgive me? And the fellowship, the relationship is restored. Some of you need to do that today with God. Would you bow your heads? Lord, I pray for those today that need to come, commit their life to you. Some have never given their life to you. And so, Lord, I, I, I trust you'll show them how much you love them. You'll show them their sin. You'll convict them. You'll convince them they need to come to you and be saved today. But you've spoken mostly to those of us who already know you. Help us to be vessels of honor. Show us our hearts that need to, the sin in our hearts that needs to be confessed to you. I pray for those that need a church. Lord, we know that, that this church is not for perfect people because there are no perfect people. But we ask you to bring folks here that need to be loved and discipled. And, and I pray you'll, you'll send some vessels of honor, some gold and silver ones. But even if they're not there yet, we still want them, Lord. Because I know that even today, they can start to be a vessel of gold and silver, a vessel of honor for those that need to be baptized. Lord, what a testimony for these four today. Others need to follow that too. So God, I pray that you'll move now. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message.